Turned out to be quite the stormy morning here on Tuesday on the start. We witnessed the wildest storm move through the area since we've moved in to 201 Portage. It looked so dark. But in the meantime, we had other things to discuss, like Emancipation Day. Nadia Thompson from the chair of Black History Month joined us. Clay Young joined us as well to talk about the firefighter challenge at the police and fire games. The super moon. It looked pretty super overnight, but tonight is the big one. Scott Young joined us from the Manitoba Museum. Blue Bomber running back Brady Oliveira joined us for breakfast with the Bombers. And inspired by Elon Musk's giant glowing X, what is a non-eyesore? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who is back next week. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Tuesday, August 1st podcast for The Start. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. And if you spend any amount of time in downtown Winnipeg before 6 a.m., you are, well, it doesn't really matter any time, but typically before 6, we, we see some interesting things. And I was just outside for a moment before showtime, and I see these guys coming around the corner at uh, 201 Portage here, and they're com- they were coming in the direction from Portage in Maine, so they're walking westbound on the sidewalk and they're hauling something on their backs i'm like what what is going on here i'm like oh they're carrying golf bags <laughs> were they playing through <laughs> did, did you wave them ahead brett <laughs> go ahead guys go ahead i'm in no rush and uh I'm like oh they're and then i saw their their badges uh their tags around their necks so they're here for the the police and fire games they're on their way to the convention center to uh, for their pickup, I checked the schedule. Pickup time seven a.m. and they are heading to Bridges Golf Course today. Okay, they played Elmhurst yesterday, Bridges today, and Breezy Bend tomorrow. I don't know uh, how many athletes you've seen around. Uh, obviously, at least two. Yep. This morning, and so uh, this event is sort of we're in the heart of it right now as we head into uh, day Saturday, Sunday, Monday, day four of competition, and it's been. Uh, interesting to uh, watch my Instagram feed in particular. I started following a lot of the different teams that were hashtagging Winnipeg or or the appropriate hashtags, and so it's been neat to see the the time that that people from around the world are are having in our city. I wondered how long it would be though hmm. before somebody, because uh, when you are a first responder, firefighter, paramedic, police officer, sort of instinctual, if you see trouble to get involved. And I was wondering, quite frankly, how long it would take before we had a story like we had yesterday about an individual from Australia who got in the middle of a melee here in Winnipeg and got pepper sprayed. Yeah, this happened uh, Saturday morning. So police are waved over by a man participating in the World Police and Fire Games. He tried to get between two women in a scuffle, as uh, Sarah McCarthy was telling you. Uh, He stepped in, and then one of them uh, bear sprayed him and the other woman in the face. Uh, The suspect ran off, but was quickly found and detained, and the athlete was given first aid. So I was curious to know what what would happen with all of these athletes. Because they're all emergency responders, right? So what would happen if they see something that, like there's, and and just knowing that 
And look, I realize the games are, there are some controversies surrounding the games, but at the same time, you pointed out the athletes. So when I'm walking home yesterday and I see uh, the colors of various teams, uh, you don't, I don't know, don't know where they're from per se, but I know they're here for the games. Sure. And I, I, I will admit it made me feel just a touch safer. Oh, that's interesting. Just know because knowing that there's a, a handful of people over here and more people over there, that, that no matter where you are in downtown Winnipeg, you're going to bump into somebody from these games. That was another thought I had once upon a time was whether or not this might be the safest nine days in Winnipeg's modern history. <laughs> Because we've got an influx of some 8,000. Uh, yes. Many of them police officers. So uh, your feedback on that, 204-780-6868. Have you been out to watch any of the competition? Have you seen the athletes around? What's your feedback on on what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're experiencing? We're going to share with you a story that Richard and Julie sh- shared with us and brought to us yesterday afternoon, just before 5 o'clock, about an athlete who is participating with Team Ukraine. He's a Winnipeg uh, police service member, wasn't planning to be a part of these games, but he got a phone call over the weekend, said, uh, strap on your blades. The team needs you. We'll share that story with you in about an hour. Really cool story. And speaking of Ukraine as well, a little bit later on at 935, we have a really fascinating story here, and this was brought to us by a listener and you know, it's just another example of, of why you are so important to what we do around here in terms of story ideas. Uh, we got an email from a Manitoba named Svetlana who says, My father's grandfather, Mikola Maluzinski, is being honored in Ukraine with a postage stamp. He was a high-ranking priest and community organizer who was killed in 1943 by the Nazis. So this stamp is a huge, huge honor. And I spoke with uh, her father yesterday, who told me, gave me quite a bit of uh, the sort of the, the snapshot of the history of this man and what he did for his people to help out. So we'll learn more about that. But uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an important story that we would have had probably no idea about had it not been for you reaching out to say, hey, look at this. This on the heels of the story we did last week while you were away, Brett, about the Winnipegger who was a member of the Manhattan Project, Louis Sloten. Oh, yeah? And, yeah, so he's part of, uh, I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet. I don't know if his character is featured in Oppenheimer or his likeness, uh, but there is a, a movie back from the 80s, uh, Fat Man and, the, and Little Boy, I believe it's called, with, um, with Paul Newman and John Cusack, and John Cusack, uh, portrays a gentleman by the name of Mike Merriman, and uh, that is actually his character is based on Winnipegger Louis Sloten oh. and his role in the Manhattan Project. So in consecutive weeks, uh, we're uh, digging into Winnipeg's history and, and learning a little bit more about the connection to, to great things in uh, world history uh, that impact and connect back to our city. All right. So much to discuss this morning. And this has to do with a brightly flashing X sign that's been removed from the San Francisco headquarters of the company owned by Elon Musk, by the artist formerly known as Twitter. 
Here's ABC's Lionel Moyes. 24 complaints to the Department of Building Inspection in San Francisco about the massive glowing X logo installed at the headquarters of the company formerly known as Twitter. It sort of looked like there was like a light show happening. Stacy lives nearby. I just closed the blackout curtains. Frankie was there as it was removed from the high-rise on Market Street. I like the attention that it got San Francisco. You know, I like the, the conversation that was started. Uh, but more importantly, I'm probably happy for these residents. Lionel Moyes, ABC News. We're hearing, by the way, a full-blown storm in Gimli at the moment, so we'll keep our eyes on that. But in the meantime, while we could take this in one direction and think of things like the uh, Kenny Rogers chicken sign outside of Kramer's apartment in Seinfeld, we wanted to flip this because it sounds like this glowing X, maybe if you're driving by, it would be cool, but for the most part, it sounds like it was a bit of an eyesore. Uh, But we want to think of the... The the big, bright visual things in Winnipeg that you like, that make you happy. Like uh, this new high-rise we've got, 300 Main. I walk by it every day, and it looks pretty cool, but I finally drove past it. Or I, I, I was, I, pardon me, I was driving back into downtown. I was going over the Provence Bridge at night, and I had no idea that it, the building glows. And it looks cool. It looks fantastic. You can see it from just about every corner of the city now at the right time of night. And uh, the tallest building in the city, as I was talking to the mayor about it off air yesterday, it has really changed the complexion of the skyline, not only its height, but to have it lit the way it is, it's it's kind of iconic. Yeah, it looks fantastic. So we want to know at 204-780-6868, what are the things... The, whether it's the decorations or maybe there's a sign for a restaurant or business that you look forward to seeing. Or maybe if you want to make it smaller scale, maybe there's somebody in your neighborhood who does something you know, in their yard that manages to spruce up the whole street. 204-780-6868. Is Kelly, has Kelly Moore joined us this morning, producer Jeff Forte? Why don't we start with yeah. Kelly? Uh, X marks the spot indeed, Hitman. <laughs> it's great to be with you guys uh, uh, on a, a cameo appearance this uh, this week. But Oh, a cameo. You know, you, There's a pun. A, a cameo appearance, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, th- one of the things, uh, when we first moved to Winnipeg in the uh, early to mid-90s, you know, the mint uh, was such an eye-catcher. But I, I'd have to say now that, you know, we've lived in this city for the better part of a quarter of a century, uh, that uh, when you're driving at night uh, towards the Provence Bridge and you see that reflection of Esplanade Riel footbridge uh, in the water uh, for the Red River, I just think there's not a more beautiful place in Winnipeg, uh, personally. And they've really jazzed it up, Kelly, oh, in the last few months, yeah. right? They've got that uh, different multicolored. They can do that light yes. show at the top yeah. of the hour in the evening. And I look... Every morning when I come over to Israeli, I look to my left to see what color they've lit. They've they've, they've kept it lit overnight. It's kind of neat. I agree with you. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, back in my teenage days listening to Led Zeppelin at 78 speed. But that's a story for another day. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, Kelly, and great choice. Easily one of the most photographed spots in all of Winnipeg. Sarah McCarthy, what about you? Yeah, I just find all my neighbors uh, in my apartment are very passionate about decorating their patios and balconies. So, like, even now, it's not Christmas, but just about every balcony is decked out with some sort of, like, bright, nice, warm lights. And so driving here at, like, 4 a.m. is always nice to see that just all still (laughs) lit up and just the different gardens and just makes it like a little community itself. And 
I just really like it. That's a great point, and it's something that makes me feel guilty every Christmas time because a lot of my neighbors do the same thing. They spruce up their balconies mm-hmm. and they put up lights, and I've just got two lonely patio chairs and a patio table that never gets Charlie cleaned. Brown Christmas tree. Not even nothing. There's n- nothing out there. So I think about it every year. Why can't they rent that apartment? Why is that apartment empty year after year? No, there's an old grumpy guy who lives there. I've seen him twice. <laughs> he comes out every so often. That's my precious. Uh, Forte, what about you? Okay, something that I actually really like. It's not lit up or anything, but if you're heading uh, northbound on Disraeli and you're going into Elmwood, they have this sign there, and it's on bricks, and it says, Welcome to Elmwood. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great. I think yeah. every neighborhood should have something like that. I know Transcona does. They have Welcome to Transcona, and they have uh, Hi, Neighbor Sam. Yep. which is cool. Like, I wish my neighborhood, North Kildona, I wish they had Welcome to North Kildona. Plus, it would help people know which neighborhood you're in because uh, there, there's always some kind of argument like, where does the Kildonans <laughs> end? Where does Transcona <laughs> begin? You know, I think it'd just be easier to have signs, welcome to the neighborhood. It's always yeah. dividing us, Forche. You're such a divider. <laughs> but they have the same they have the same sign coming southbound on Disraeli in between the humps. They've got a welcome to Point Douglas sign there you go. as well, exactly. right in yeah. the middle. So, yeah, right. yeah, it's really neat. That was part of the redevelopment and the rebuild of the Disraeli Freeway. What about you, Matt? Well, you're going to see a big change. I don't know if it's happening tonight, but I do know at some point that right here at 201 Portage, you've been used to seeing that Royal Bank uh, sign on either side of 201 Portage. Over the last several weeks, they've been hauling gigantic letters. I don't know how tall they are. I'm going to guess they're 10 to 15 feet tall each. B-M-O. And the Bank of Montreal logo, or the BMO logo, is going to be right on the front of 201 Portage. So everybody in southeast Winnipeg, East Winnipeg should be able to read that from just about everywhere. So for I don't know how long that Royal Bank has been on top of 201 Portage. It was TD for a long time. Going to be BMO soon. So at 204-780-6868, let's discuss the signs, the decorations, the small landmarks, or the even the neighborhood touches that make our city better. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win Folklorama tickets. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. In a moment, we want to tell you about a business that closed due to crime. It's not just a problem in Winnipeg, but before that, We're asking you about the visual sights. That's kind of redundant, isn't it? The visual sights. The uh, the, uh, audible noises. (laughs) Whatever. I I work part-time in the redundancy office of redundancy. But yeah, the things, just the visual markers that you like in the city that make, that spruce things up, whether it's a massive building, like the touches they put on a building or a business sign or a neighborhood sign or just something somebody does in their yard. What does Carol in North K say? Yeah, she Carol's echoing Forche's sentiments. Those neighborhood signs are a great thing. We were talking about the signs. If you're just tuning in uh, northbound on the Disraeli, as you get into Elmwood, there's a welcome to Elmwood sign. And conversely, when you're heading south towards downtown on the Disraeli over the first hump, there's a big welcome to Point Douglas sign. So Carol says when we had visitors from England last year, they saw the Elmwood side as they bust to our place. They asked what neighborhood we 
we're in. What? No NK sign? I remember there being a welcome to the North End sign on a building when heading uh, north off the slot Rebchuck Bridge. That's right. I remember that as well. Yeah. Sort of embedded in the uh, shingles there. Yeah, that's really nice. And and Forte mentioned the sign that welcomes you to Transcona. And then when you get in further into downtown Transcona, they've built that big sort of arch way over top of it that that's, that lights up at night. So. I love downtown Transcona. They uh, they have really they've really done some things correctly there, Brett. Yeah, it's a nice little pocket of my home neighborhood. So keep those stories coming. The things that you enjoy seeing, the visual things in Winnipeg that really make you happy for a chance to win. We're going to pick a winner at 9.15 for the Folklorama tickets. So do you make sure you don't get Folklorama FOMO. You get your favorite pavilion. But right now, this is a story which uh, might very well be one of the top stories in a number of major cities across North America. A once thriving business has decided enough is enough and is shutting down one of its locations. Yeah, so this is not in downtown Winnipeg. This is in downtown Vancouver, Kristen Robinson of Global News BC has the story. After 13 years in the Woodward's building, J.J. Bean is packing up. It's such a loss. I feel a bit abandoned. The last customers, sad to see their coffee shop close, but these regulars also watched Gastown decline during COVID. We definitely saw a deterioration um, over the last couple of years even. Something like this closing... Um, it's just going to be another vacant spot in this, you know, neighborhood. Our security and West Bank security are working more closely together. Um, the solution is to have more people, have a larger presence. It's too late for J.J. Bean's founder, who's fed up with the neighborhood and replacing broken windows every month. But we are paying to get out of our lease because we don't want to be here. John Neat says the highest price was paid by his employees who faced abuse every day. And he denied him access to the washroom, and this person picked up a milk jug and threw it at him and threatened the staff at the same time. But it's not going to be a quick fix. These are very complex societal issues. Councillor Peter Meisner says hiring is underway on the ABC Majority's campaign promise for 100 new police officers and 100 mental health nurses. What do you say to business owners who say they won't be opening any new stores in Vancouver? Well, safety, public safety in Vancouver is a top priority for mayor and council, and we're working very hard with our partners and senior levels of government, as well as on the ground. Commercial Drive, we have now full bars across all the windows. We don't want anybody to feel like they're in prison, but that's what Steel Gates feels like. This after someone broke the door at 4 a.m. during an overnight baker's shift. As one J.J. Bean closes, the coffee roaster says it'll do what it takes to protect staff at its other Vancouver locations. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Incredibly bothersome story, Brett. Uh, I've mentioned that if I was thinking about opening up a coffee shop, that would be one of my biggest concerns is managing and controlling the washrooms and uh, dealing with uh, the fact that not everybody that comes into your store necessarily wants to buy anything. So that would be a deterrent. But I think this highlights what we were discussing with the mayor yesterday, the idea of crisis or emergency when it comes to crime. Because I suspect, based on the reading and, and the attention we pay to what's going on in other cities, that there's a story like that in just about every major city in North America going on right now. And so focusing on Canada, if this is an emergency or not a crisis here in Winnipeg, at what point is the federal government and provincial governments going to go, 
Holy smokes. This is something we need to pay attention to as a country because it's impacting our major cities. And our question of the day yesterday at CJOB.com, and you can still vote on this. Would you classify Winnipeg's crime situation as a crisis or emergency? So far at CJOB.com, 82.72% say yes. 12.57 say not quite yet. And just under 5% say no. So you can cast your vote at CJOB.com. We got lots of active weather in uh, southern Manitoba. Cat uh, and Gimli saying the rain was coming down like stair rods a few minutes ago. Couldn't even see across the yard, but it has stopped now and the storm is moving out across the lake. Uh, so lots of get, getting lots of feedback. Let us know what you're seeing. The, the sort of the visual things that make you happy when you're driving through, walking through the city of Winnipeg, whether it's a sign, whether it's a decoration, whether it's a neighborhood thing, whether what's one of your neighbors doing something in their yard. Like there's a, a house, I believe it's on Grosvenor, not far from Stafford, that has all kinds of wooden carvings. Somebody's carved out various animals and displayed them in their front yard. And it's just beautiful, beautiful, like a, a talent on display here. I couldn't carve uh, a cub car when I was in in Cubs when I was a kid. So to see that, pretty cool. But what does Kristen say? She's taking us outside the city. Yeah, not in Winnipeg, but I love Kenora's Husky the Musky. My dad caught Husky the Musky, by the way, according to legend and lore. Well, according to my dad. And uh, uh, Selkirk's <laughs> Chuck the Channel Fish. I wish we had more of those characters around to enjoy. Manitoba, so famous for its roadside attractions and, and big things. And I think the wind's picking up as well now, Brett, not to get derailed here, but the, the you can see the windows shaking here at the top of 201 Portage at Portage in Maine. So a storm is a coming. All right. So in the meantime, let's switch gears from the storm to the storm that we hope comes to the field on Thursday night, Forte. Because it's Breakfast with the Bombers by the cooperators investing in your future together. Now, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are getting prepared for this Thursday's showdown with the first place BC Lions at IG Field. The 6-1 and one Lions played in Edmonton on Saturday, Brett. And as you likely know, the Blue Bombers haven't played since July 20th at home versus the Elks. Will that play a factor in the outcome of this week's game, head coach Mike O'Shea? I don't know. We In years past, we've won on short weeks too, so... You know, we, we never really spend any time looking at what the other team, what kind of rest they have, whether they're coming off a bye or whether they're on a short week. It, it's not really relevant to our preparation, right? So yeah. Rick Campbell's a very good football coach. He's been a good coach for a long, long time. He'll know exactly what his team needs on any given week <laughs> to, you know, to, to be ready to play. So that's the one thing we will – always believe is that the team that we're playing that week is ready. (laughs) Now we welcome to breakfast with the bombers, the leading rusher in the Canadian football league, Brady Oliveira. Brady, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us, Brady. And listen, uh, does the fact that BC plays with just four days between game days have the potential to impact Thursday's game? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, they're coming off a short week. Uh, you know, like Oach said, you know, we've won off of short weeks. We've won games with having, you know, lots of days of rest. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, they're coming off a short week. That has nothing to do with our preparation. Um, you know, we just got to 
continue to do what we do, come in here every single day, um, have a great week of work, great week of practice, and then let the rest uh, take care of itself. But uh, what we do know is that obviously it's going to be a very, you know, exciting game. You know, that's a very competitive football team, and, uh, you know, they're good all around. So, um, you know, like always, you got to expect everyone's best, but I think especially, you know, with the BC Lions team there, you know, they're one heck of a football team. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's going to be a fun one. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, yeah, it's going to be good. Brady, where are you right now? Are you in the car? Are you inside? Because we are watching this this storm just envelop downtown. Whereabouts are you? <laughs> I'm in my car right now, right outside the facility. But I was driving from, I live in Riverbend, so uh, North Main, right by Shears Golf Course. And as soon as I was pulling out of my driveway, I already saw these dark clouds and it's been getting, as I've been driving to the stadium, it's just been following my vehicle. So I look in my rearview mirror right now and it is quite dark uh, near my end of the city. I think you just dragged that, that storm right with you all the way to, uh, to university of Manitoba. How'd you spend your, how'd you, how'd you spend your off week, Brady? Oh yeah, it, it was, uh, that was much needed. I, uh, I spent lots of time, uh, with my dogs. I usually am out doing some rescue work, but I spent lots of time with, uh, with my dogs. We went to the cabin for a couple of days, uh, did lots of, uh, paddle boarding. We're on the boat. We did some lake surfing, um, jet skiing a little bit. And then I played a bunch of, uh, golf games. Actually, I played about four or five rounds of golf, which was fun. Um, but yeah, it was good. Just, just to relax get the mind off of uh, football a little bit, get the get the body back to, you know, 100%. Uh, and, yeah, you know, get a couple workouts in here and there and get ready for BC. Played four or five rounds of golf. Where'd you play? I, so I played at one of uh, – I knocked it off the list. I've always wanted to play at Granite Hill. So uh, I was in Lassabani at the lake for a couple of days. So I figured I'd, why not get a round of golf at Granite Hill. People say it's one of the nicest courses in Manitoba, and I would probably say they're very accurate when they say that statement because, you know, they have about five or six holes along the water across along the lake. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful day. The sun was out. It was, it was awesome. Uh, and then I also got to play at St. Charles Country Club, which I've always wanted to golf at, it being a private course. And, uh, yeah, so I got to golf at two nice courses that I've always wanted to play at. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a good bye week. Atta boy, atta boy, and I would concur. Granite Hills is easily, uh, Jesse, it's one of the most amazing courses we've got here in Manitoba. So that's great that you got to play that. Uh, but on the now that we're back to getting ready for football, we mentioned off the top, you're leading the league in rushing, 526 yards in seven games. Last season, it wasn't until the seventh game of the season at Edmonton that you really got things going. So is there another level of play that you're searching for this year to kick it up a notch? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, you talk about last year, how it went to me, you know, obviously a little bit of a slow start. And it's crazy that you think that, you know, I look back uh, from a year ago today, you know, week seven is, I guess, you know, when I started to get things running. And then now, you know, we, we were able to, you know, start off, start pretty fast this year. And, and that was, uh, that was my biggest thing this season was, you know, start fast, you know, play my style of football. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm still a very young football player. I'm, I'm only 25. Um, and I'm, I'm not even playing my best football yet. You know, obviously I'm not even in my prime. So I continue and strive to get better every single day. And I think, you know, 
as a football player and probably a fan watching the game, I think you can see, you know, every single week I continue to get better and I continue to get into a better groove with the offensive line. And I think, you know, being with them more and more in meetings and, and getting on the same page with them and, and growing my football IQ, I'm continuing to, to grow as a, as a football player, as a running back. So I think you're going to continue to see, you know, me improve on a week-to-week basis. And obviously, yeah, there, there's big things that I, I would like to accomplish, you know, in my in my career. not really going to touch on that, but I, I know where I want to be at the end of this thing. And, um, and yeah, so it is exciting. Um, but, yeah, I continue to get better every single week. All right, Brady, you prepared to have a little bit of fun with us? We've got some, uh, some short answers, some rapid fire style. You prepared for this? Hope you were studying. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, fire up that stopwatch. Here we go. Let's begin there on an exam. Fill in the blank. Multiple choice or essay answers. What do you prefer? Uh, multiple choice. Xbox or PlayStation? Uh, Xbox. Go-to video game for Brady Oliveira? Uh, Fortnite. Have you been to a Winnipeg Sea Bears game yet? I have been. Favorite NFL team growing up? Minnesota Vikings, Adrian Peterson, baby. Okay, then we'll just jump ahead to favorite CFL player growing up. Oh, I'm going to say between Charles Roberts and Bill Siegel. Dogs or cats? I think we know the answer to this one. Say that. What's the, what's the question? Dogs or cats? Oh, come on, man. So I like cats, but dogs all day, every day. Okay, Grand, Be- Grand Beach or Winnipeg Beach? Oh, Winnipeg Beach. I actually had a cabin growing up. My grandma had one in Panema, uh, which is like 10 minutes down the road from Winnipeg Beach. So I spent lots of time at Winnipeg Beach. All right, up. three quick ones. How do you like your eggs? Uh, funny side up. Bacon or sausage? Uh, turkey bacon. Turkey bacon, good call. Uh, and uh, are you eating toast, white, brown, or rye toast, Brady? Rye toast. You are a Winnipegger, my man. <laughs> well, good for you I for eating turkey eat, bacon. Man. You're a healthier person than I am. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Brady Oliveira, you're kicking butt so far. Keep it rolling, and uh, Godspeed on Thursday. We're looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Okay, and hopefully the rain doesn't hit you too hard. It is just pouring in downtown. We can't see anything right now. It's coming down in sheets. But that's Brady Oliveira running back, the league-leading running back in the CFL for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, joining us live for breakfast with the Bombers uh, for cooperators investing in your future together. So in the meantime, Greg, let's switch gears. Well, maybe a little bit. We were going to talk to Clay Young about one thing, but we might be talking to him about another first. I think he may be taking refuge in a fire truck. Clay Young joining us from... Are you still in downtown, Clay? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm still here. Uh, We were out uh, doing some live hits on the World Police and Fire Games uh, just along Broadway, just off uh, Memorial. And we were doing them outside. And then, uh, you know, as we all know, those very dark clouds started moving in. Then the wind picked up. And then we started seeing the lightning. And we thought, 
We'd better get inside somewhere. And they, they do have some tents here uh, where a lot of the volunteers are. And we were huddled uh, underneath a tent. Uh, but then uh, the lightning intensified. Okay, we all got to get out of here. <laughs> and so we're actually inside a fire truck. When in doubt, go inside a city of Winnipeg fire truck. That would we work. feel well protected in here. That would work for me, Clay. So you've made a, a great decision. What took you down to where you are at Memorial and Broadway? Because I've been watching your, your morning hits on Global News Morning, and it looks like there's some very exciting superstructures set up there as part of the World Police and Fire Games. Well, I'm with uh, Chad Swayze. He's a board chair uh, for these games. He's also... Uh, a Winnipeg firefighter. So you invited us to come down here, and, and uh, Mr. Macklin was just mentioning, you know, as you're driving down Broadway, you can't help but notice this. What is this event uh, that we're at? So we blocked off Memorial Boulevard for what they call uh, Ultimate Firefighter. It's There's two towers erected, uh, staircases and all that, uh, and along Memorial Boulevard, it'll simulate what we do going into a fire. Everything from climbing the stairs to carrying hose up the stairs to setting up a ladder and dragging a, a potential victim, a, a rescue Randy, or uh, or pulling the hose down the street and, and, and spraying a bit of water. And these are timed. These are timed events, so you would have an individual or teams, or how does that work? So they're both. They're timed uh, individual. Uh, people can compete as an individual and also as a team. So we could have maybe possibly a world record set during these games. Absolutely. Uh, so they're, the athletes are going to come out, hopefully when the, the weather clears up here, uh, to get some practice time in uh, so that tomorrow and Thursday when competition actually happens, they're ready to hit the ground running and actually running up those stairs and carrying all that equipment. Well, okay, as you mentioned, this is a practice day that eventually, hopefully, the weather will clear up so they'll be out here uh, doing their thing. And then tomorrow, it's the real thing, and, and the public can come out because this sounds like quite a spectator uh, sport. Absolutely. All the all the events are free to watch. Uh, come on out to Memorial Boulevard. Uh, watch watch the athletes uh, compete, and most importantly, cheer on those athletes that have come from around the world. You know, as far away as, as Australia, and they're coming to compete uh, in an event in Winnipeg. Yeah. Uh, on an earlier segment, we had, we you know we're not hiding anything. It's not. It's like the elephant in the room, and we addressed it. There have been some unfortunate incidents that have occurred. Uh, they happened over the weekend. Uh, one was a uh, uh, law enforcement officer from Australia. He was in St. Barnabas uh, over the weekend. Th there were two individuals that were going at it. He tried to intervene, and he ends up getting bear sprayed. Uh, let's not you know, go at length on, on some of the negative things. Overall, how have the game's gone? Overall, from an athlete's side, uh, from what I've, I've heard from them, it's fantastic. Winnipeggers, volunteers, and also just the public have, have been open, opened up their arms and friendly. Uh, like our license plate says, friendly Manitoba, and we are truly showing that uh, Winnipeggers and Manitobans are friendly. All right. Uh, as we speak, uh, it's starting to pick up again for the rain. So you got a lot of events going on outside. We've got some lightning going on in the background. Is there a protocol for, for when the weather turns nasty? Uh, the out, outdoor venues, obviously, with the, the weather protocols, uh, lightning obviously shut th shuts things down, uh, but 
a soccer match or a soccer game can be played in the rain. So it's it just all dependent on uh, the specific sport and if there's a safety concern for those athletes. Uh, but obviously lightning and, and, uh, and that shut down a sport outdoors. Chad, thank you so much. Thank you for having us on. Okay, back to you guys. Global's Clay Young joining us live on 680 CJOB for the World Police and Fire Games. And I'm glad that Clay gave us that report because I was driving up Broadway this morning and it said no left turn temporarily a memorial. And I thought, why? And then I looked to my left and I saw these two giant structures had been built there. And I'm like, okay, that's a uh, good enough reason. <laughs> I can't quite get through that. <laughs> so. <laughs> so it's the start of a new month. Can't believe it's already August already. But it is also Emancipation Day, which marks the anniversary of the abolition of slavery in the British Empire. Yeah, and many of us maybe do not know that slavery happened in Canada with thousands of black people being bought and sold into slavery as part of the transatlantic slave trade. To mark Emancipation Day, Black History Manitoba and the Canadian Museum for Human Rights are hosting an Emancipation Day celebration on Friday, August 4th. Joining us in studio is Nadia Thompson, the chair of Black History Manitoba. Nadia, great to see you again. How are you this morning? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this is obviously an important day in history, one as we sort of mentioned off the top that maybe a lot of people don't realize is a thing. Mm -hmm. So why is it important that we mark this? Well, it's important because it's not necessarily in all of our history books. So when you're going to school or you're, you're educating your children, that part of history is missing. And even as an adult, you might not know, or you'd have no real reason to look that information up. However, it's an important part of Canadian history. The French, French and British colonies had slavery here, and we want to acknowledge that. Um, we want to also educate the greater population of the importance of the abolition of slavery. So our history impacts our present and our future. Can you share a little bit about how slavery connects uh, the impacts of ongoing racism? I think that from my standpoint, the reason that we acknowledge it is because there's such a connection between multiple histories. So not only black history, not only Canadian history, American history, but also the history of all different cultures. There's that linkage between us that we sometimes forget to, to mention and to acknowledge because once we go out of school and you start living your life, racism is all around us in whatever shape or form. But we can be able to educate ourselves to kind of do a little bit of homework within ourselves to eliminate those issues that we have by asking questions and, and educating yourself about where we all come from and what our differences are, as well as our similarities. Nadia, I've got to ask you about the what really amounts to the rewriting of history in Florida right now mm -hmm. when it comes to slavery and how language is being changed or proposed changes in the education system there, how they're, they're looking to, in one instance, it's being reported that they, they want to highlight the quote unquote, the benefits, what slaves got out of slavery. It's mind boggling that in 2023, we are having this discussion about, what's accurate, what's not accurate, what's correct to portray and how it's correct to portray it. It's got to be mind boggling to somebody like you that pays such close attention to these things. Well, we all, we've been trying to advocate for a change in our curriculum throughout the education system here in Manitoba. It's not an easy process and it's not a fast process, but it's an important process because of things like that. People are bringing their own visions and their own 
agenda to the way that we educate people regarding slavery and regarding black history. So that's getting in the way in Manitoba, you think, or has gotten in the way? Because as you mentioned off the top, that this is something that we weren't necessarily taught in school. Yeah, and it's a process, right? It's a process. So we, we have to be cognizant to all the different races and backgrounds and cultures when we're looking at educating our young people. So that's, you know, personal opinion maybe, but at the same time, I think it's important that we we touch on it and we explore it more to see how it does develop the way that we are now. How about we discuss, about we just, we discuss some of the tremendous success that the black community has had in Manitoba? And I think that's what one of the reasons why we, we're having this celebration, because that's the important part that we we acknowledge what happened, but we also have to celebrate where we are and what we've accomplished and how far we've come. Um, by having this event, we want to bring people together and let them know that Black history is not just in February, that we're 365 days a year, um, that there are a lot of important innovations, um, successes, just a lot of stuff that we can acknowledge and we can focus on. So having the, the Human Rights Museum here in Manitoba, in Winnipeg, it's important that we do these things there so that we can also focus on what they have to showcase for our community and to grow the acknowledgement and the education for people here. Did you grow up here, Nadia, in Winnipeg? I did. Born and raised? Born and raised. So talk about your experience growing up because, you know, I, I grew up in a neighborhood where of all races, of all cultures and you know, maybe I'm naive, but I felt like we all got along really well. <laughs> well, I, and I feel the same. I grew up in a great neighborhood. We had all different cultures, all different ethnicities around us. And we learned our parents were very open to making sure that we fulfilled ourselves with, with all different people, all different foods, all t- music, everything that kind of bring us all together. Um, I think that we don't have that privilege as young. Well, I shouldn't say I'm not young, but... <laughs> Our young people don't have the privilege that we had where those racial tensions and the discrimination and so high now, it was not like that when we were growing up. So you you think it's higher now? I do. Then what what do you base that view on? I just maybe. okay, maybe higher isn't the best word, but more prevalent, like it's more open and out there than it used to be. I've had questions and people say to me. Um, you know, since the George, George Floyd Act, that has kind of catalyst something in us to say, okay, this is now happening. But that's not true. We, things were happening long before, even having that visual. You know, we think back to Rodney King. There was a visual, so we had that. And that was how much years ago. So it's not a new thing for us. It might be a new thing for people to have that acknowledgement of what's going on in the world. But do you think people are more comfortable saying saying things that maybe they might have kept to themselves in years past, more comfortable yeah. saying it out loud? I think not necessarily saying out loud. There have more avenues to say it, um, hiding behind screens and, and, <laughs> and being able to just write whatever you want to write um, and not having not being accountable for it. So that kind of makes it more prevalent. But but we're here to celebrate. <laughs> Emancipation Day, and we're going to be doing that on Friday, um, having a great time together, all like-minded and a very positive event 
to, to celebrate what we have here in Winnipeg. So what are some of the specifics on the event happening on Friday outside the, uh, at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights? We are going to be having some appetizer, a little reception. Then we are we are privileged to have a wonderful host, Peg City Lovely, Natalie Bell. Um, we've got some a couple speakers. We have some entertainment. We've got some drumming. We have a violinist. We've got a up-and-coming reggae artist. We have some spoken word. We touch on everything, kind of bring it all together to go back into um, that acknowledgement of history and how prevalent we are and how what a focus that we have for our people here. Do we need tickets? It is a free event. The event is free. The Canadian Museum is free on that Friday. They've got a free Friday. So you can come check out the museum and then come over to the event. At, uh, the program itself starts at 630. Nadia Thompson. The chair of Black History Manitoba joining us in studio. Great to have you finally downtown in our new studio. Thank you so Let's much. Let's not wait a year to do we this. We won't. We won't. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Nadia Thompson, the chair of Black History Manitoba. Once again, it's Emancipation Day today. The celebration happening Friday at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. And again, the program starts at 6? Correct. Okay. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. Our contest Sort of got derailed a little bit this morning by the storm, but with good reason. It was sort of all-consuming. And Greg, as far as that power outage goes, or the power outages, uh, which one is the biggest from what you can tell? Yeah, the biggest one would be in that northeast corner of the city in North Kildonan on either side of Chief, Chief Pegwis Trail, uh, basically down to just north of Eagle Mere and then all the way uh, north to the Perimeter Highway, including Headmaster Row uh, Sun Valley Drive, that area, uh, 2,100 customers there. And then just slightly uh, south of that and to the west of Gateway Road, sort of on either side of McLeod, all the way to the river. There's also a power outage there that's impacting 1,200 customers. And then there are intermittent and smaller power outages dotting the city all the way uh, around uh, the metro area. Oh, Big one in Oak Bluff now just coming up on the uh, on the map and Waverly West as well, Brett. All right. And Chris uh, says that uh, 19 millimeters of rain out at Grace Hospital. No watering today. <laughs> and didn't you water? The, you texted me this morning and said, I had, I'm just on my way. I had to do some watering. And I thought... We might get rain this morning. Well, 30% chance was not good enough for me. My okay. flowers need love and attention. They need love and tender, loving care. Yeah. And so I watered all my flowers this morning. So they got a double dose. Now I'm worried that they're they're going to be drowned. Well, fair enough. And um, hey, by the way, on the subject of the, and first of all, thanks to all who gave us the reports all morning. Of what oh, we were so seeing. good. Uh, whether it was the rain or the thunder or the power outages, et cetera. Uh, you're our, we're in a studio. We, so you're, you're the ones out there letting us know what's going on. But we're also asking you this morning about the in, inspired by Elon Musk's giant X outside the Twitter headquarters or the X headquarters that had to be removed because people were complaining it was too bright and too glowy. We decided to flip that and say, instead of an eyesore in Winnipeg, what's something that makes you happy? Whether it's a decoration, it could and like it could be a huge decoration, like 300 Main. If you haven't seen that building yet at night, 
it glows and it looks like space age. It looks great. Or it could be something uh, smaller scale decorative or a neighborhood sign or something your neighbor does or maybe something you look forward to seeing every year like the humbug sign. And uh, Jim the Bailiff points to something on uh, Abenoji Mikanoth, the former Bishop Grand, and the bridge under Pemina Highway has a statue of circles that when you drive by, it looks like a kaleidoscope, very pleasing to the eye, and you wonder why there are not more of these in this city. Yeah, I love the public art in our city. The the arch in between the Norwood bridges, yeah. as you head from downtown across the Assiniboine River, uh, the arches and then the, the pillars with the with the the tufts of wheat on top are just. I, I've always loved those. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Mick reminding uh, some of us old enough to remember going north on Balmoral as it changes to Isabel. There used to be a neon sign on the left side of Isabel Notre Dame. It used to blink the letters Gemini. Oh, I think yeah? It was Gemini Fashions, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, back the day. wow. Gemini Fashions. That sounds pretty cool. And we can also just give you a heads up now that the severe thunderstorm warning has ended for the city of Winnipeg and areas that were to the west and southwest. Uh, like I got the notifications for Winnipeg and for LaSalle. I get the notifications for LaSalle. <laughs> Because why? Like, why? I wonder why. why Could it be because Brett? this is my home golf course of Kingswood in LaSalle and I need to know what's happening out there? Though obscured by cloud, the moon did seem to be larger and oranger than usual early this morning. Yeah, it was quite spectacular nonetheless. Is there more to come tonight? Scott Young, planetarium astronomer at the Manitoba Museum, joins us now. Good morning, Scott. Morning, guys. How are you doing? Doing really well. So right. was what we saw overnight a preview of what's to come tonight and into the early morning hours of Wednesday? Yeah, you know, most people won't notice the difference between, you know, a full moon uh, and a day before or a day after. It looks pretty much full to the average person uh, most of that time. So you kind of have about a 24-hour window or so to catch it at its, at its uh, full phase and at its brightest. And so this is this is the first of two full moons in the month. So if you miss this one, hopefully before the end of August, uh, on the 30th, we'll have a chance to see another one. So what makes this one particularly special tonight? Well, that depends on what you mean. It's, it's interesting. The, the supermoon phenomenon has exploded in the last number of years, and it used to be that a supermoon was the closest and biggest full moon in the year. But then they, somebody realized, hey, this supermoon thing is really popular. Let's change the definition so we can have more than one a year. So now there's four supermoons in a year, and it just so happens that they basically happen one after the other. Um, so we had one in July, we have one today, and then we have one on the 30th. And because they fall right at the beginning of the month, the, the time between full moons is 29 and a half days. And of course, a month is 30 or 31 days. So for you to have two full moons in a single calendar month, things have to line up just right. And that's what some people call a blue moon, although there's some, there's some debate about the origin of the term blue moon as well. But So what it comes down to is the moon is going to look awesome, but it always looks awesome. And so I, I, don't, I don't usually worry too much about the super moon side of things. Whenever the moon is visible, it's worth a look. Tonight it'll be a little bit closer and a little bit brighter. And uh, the one on the 30th, uh, almost a month from now, will also be a little bit brighter and a little bit closer. 
but um, on any clear night, the moon is just spectacular to look at. It's the only other world that we can see actual details on. Everything else just looks like a dot in the sky. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm fascinated by the moon always and your ability, like you say, to to sort out and pick out uh, certain identifying markers and, and geography on the moon and just what a role it plays in history in history, right? And our ability to mark time and these different sayings, like you say, the super moon, it sounds like interesting marketing, but you mentioned blue moon, harvest moon, yeah. uh, new moon, obviously is something that, that y- you get every cycle, but where did these different uh, names come from Scott? A- and why were they so important once upon yeah, a time? You're, you're absolutely right that the moon basically helped uh, define the calendar for us. A month is basically a moon. It's a cycle of the moon from uh, full moon to the next full moon. And then they had to add a few days here and there just to make it sync up with the other period that we care about the year, which is how long it takes the Earth to go around the sun. They're not in perfect multiples. So it, it's kind of like there's a, like a leap day each, each moon to make it match up with the solar calendar. But um, knowing the moon was critically important. I mean, it tells you the season, uh, you know, as you track the full moons, you know, the months are going by, you know, when it's time to plant your crops, you know, when it's time to harvest and save food for winter. For the uh, folks in, in maritime areas, the moon defines the tides and the tides are critically important as well. And so, you know, people have known about that as long as we've had boats, which is, you know, thousands and thousands of years. Um, nowadays, we sort of think of it as just sort of a, a, a nice background or, uh, you know, starry wallpaper to look at. But all of these uh, discoveries and understandings of the cycles of the universe all came from watching things like the moon and just trying to put the, put the pieces together and figure out what was going on. And then, of course, it, it's continued all the way to today. Um, I mean, 50 years ago, Pink Floyd released their Dark Side of the Moon album, and that's probably become one of the most famous uh, cultural touchstones of the moon as well. So it's, uh, it's something that has always captivated people. Uh, and it's something that anybody can go outside and look. You don't need special equipment or special training or anything like that. It's just right there. we got to get out of here, Scott. But have you done your laser show yet at the museum for Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon? You know, we had, uh, we had some shows already. Uh, the whole run is sold out, so we're going to have to add some new shows. When I get back from vacation, I'm going to be uh, adding some new shows probably into the end of August and into September because it's been just huge response. That's fantastic news. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. We always love talking to you. And uh, it's just a great reminder to look up tonight. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, So looking at our contest for Folklorama tickets, we are asking you to tell us about just the, the visual things in our city that make you happy, that make this city better. Like Debbie who says, I live in Transcona, and my dog Carl and I love walking in the bioreserve in the winter. It's serene and peaceful walking through the woods there, and I always leave there in a very good mood. It's my dog's favorite place to walk, and I find it interesting that you say in the winter because my uh, my dad used to take the dogs for a walk all the time in the bioreserve, uh, but uh, not in the winter, so... That's pretty cool. But I love my winter walk, so that's great, Debbie. Yeah, no kidding. Bunch of you saying the flowers in Winnipeg. Uh, Murray saying the garbage hill sign at the old dump. But 
Kathy is our winner because this catches my attention every time I drive past it. And Brett, this has got to be a part of your of your history, of your childhood, of your of your youth. Correct. Uh, Kathy says, first of all, that was an impressive storm. But Kathy says, I get a smile when I see the locomotive on Plessy's in North in Transcona, just north of Kildare. It brings me good memories of my dad because he was a blacksmith at CN in Transcona and made some repairs to the locomotive when they first restored it. He loved the old trains, and I just think of simpler times when I see it. And yes, indeed, they've had uh, uh, they've done a lot of work, and I believe our friend Peter Martin, who we often speak to around Remembrance Day, but he's heavily involved in a lot of stuff in Transcona and the museum. And uh, he was a big part of uh, helping to at least get the word out to let's improve this and try to take care of it because people were vandalizing it. And uh, what that would have been a shame that would be if they had to remove it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it was behind a chain-linked fence for so many years, just kind of sitting there, Yeah. you know, and, and the historic significance of the of the engine was sort of uh, lost. But they've great, created this, but it, it's similar to the CN stage at the forks almost. Really? But it's more of a hard-shelled uh, roof on top of it, so it's a... Uh, Almost like a pergola that goes over top, oh, yeah. and now they've and they've added a, a black a wrought iron fence around it, so it looks really spectacular. I was excited they had a, a proposed putting that in the new library, the new Transcona library, somehow behind glass. But I guess that was cost prohibitive. What they've done is spectacular. So if you're in Transcona or you're in that part of the city and you haven't seen it yet, make your way over there. It, it's truly a wonderful job they've done. It's funny, for all the times I go to Transcona, I never actually get that part to that part. I always, I'm always turning right on Kildare. So uh, when I go, I'm going to see my dad today. So, oh, and by the way, dad, can I, is it okay if I drop by? Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, I'll have to make sure to check that out. So Kathy, you win the Folklorama tickets. You will not have Folklorama FOMO. And right now, we just want to get right into this here because this is a really cool story. And it's yet another example of why you are so important to what we do around here in terms of story ideas. Because we got an email from a Manitoban named Svetlana who said, My father's grandfather, Mikola Maluzinski, is being honored in Ukraine with a postage stamp. He was a high-ranking priest and community organizer who was killed in 1943 by the Nazis. This stamp is a huge, huge honor. My father and other Maliszinski family members live in and around Winnipeg, so let's say hello to Svetlana's father, Taras Maliszinski. Taras, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Britt and Greg. So I know in the limited time we have, it would be difficult to give us all of the details, but can you, in two minutes or so, just give us a snapshot. Who was your grandfather, Mikola? Well, Mikola was born in 1903, so at the time there was still the Russian Empire to the east, and uh, the Polish Empire to the west. And western Ukraine was uh, right in the middle, and the borders uh, changed quite often. And at age 23, he completed the uh, seminary for the Ukrainian Orthodox Church and was made a priest right away uh, after being married, of course. So Orthodox priests can be uh, married first and then ordained as a candidate and my father was born in 1927, uh, four years later. So he did very well in the uh, local area. They made him dean of the region, so the head priest at age 29. 
And then uh, from there, he went to the small city of Lanyutsi, and that's where uh, he's been honoured, both with a memorial plaque and a stamp. Uh, he's known to be uh, very patriotic and uh, a spiritual leader. And like I said earlier, he was caught between uh, Roman Catholicism of Poland and the Russian Orthodox Church to the north and east, with uh, Ukrainian Orthodox being uh, his faith, of course. Yeah, that was a tumultuous time. You mentioned the borders changing hands so often. Tell us about the stability that your your grandfather or your great-grandfather would have made in those difficult times, Teras. Well, he comes from a long line of priests. We know of five generations that served the Orthodox Church. And so he had to be very adamant in, in the attitude not to be swallowed up by these larger entities, be it uh, Russian Orthodox Church or the uh, Roman Catholic uh, Church of Poland. And so there was one story where under Poland, the uh, local officials were going around telling people you are now uh, Catholic and you're going to have to change uh, the way you uh, serve your, uh, your worship services. And uh, my father was, uh, oh, my grandfather was then, following these people and uh, and su- supporting the locals, saying, uh, stick to what we, uh, what we know, uh, this will uh, change in time. And uh, they never persecuted him directly, but there was a strong influence to uh, switch over to Catholicism. So that's what he was uh, known for. So the stamp, tell us about that. Well, the stamp, I have a, a large... Uh, sketch of it in front of me. Uh, July 10th, I was contacted by the mayor of Lanyutsi. I had met him in 2017 because uh, for the last 10 years, I've been teaching English in Ukraine as a volunteer uh, during my summers off as a high school teacher at St. Norbert Collegiate. And then uh, in 2018, when I was visiting, they made me an honorary citizen, gave me a certificate, presented me uh, uh, on stage Every year they have on July 28th their city day. So in uh, 2019, when I went again, they had a memorial plaque uh, put up on the side wall of this main street, just under the church. And uh, it's, they've got his um, years of life, 1903, 1943, and that uh, for six years he served as the parish uh, priest of uh, St. Mary the Protectress, and he was a well-known church and community leader. So the stamp has him in the foreground with this uh, forward-looking gaze, uh, formally dressed in suit and tie. And uh, in the background is the church and the uh, small city in behind him, and there's a bit of a reflection to the bottom right because there's a a small lake uh, in front of the church as well. And that gaze for me is very symbolic because it uh, represents the forward-looking Ukrainian people who are, Uh, looking towards a brighter future. And in many ways, uh, history has repeated itself. So my grandfather was rounded up uh, by the Nazis and uh, along with hundreds of other uh, patriotic uh, Ukrainians who wanted their own country, uh, executed in October of 1943. He was only 40 years old and, uh, and five months. And Now, of course, we've got a similar situation, only it's not Hitler and the Nazis, but it's uh, Putin and the Russian Federation 
who are trying to uh, extend their territory, build up some sort of Russian empire uh, for nostalgia purposes and or for a legacy that Putin's looking towards. And uh, Ukrainians have to uh, stand up for themselves as, again, uh, fighting for their identity. And it's interesting that when I was a high school kid in the 70s, uh, Ukraine had a population of 52 million. Now it's down to about 40 million. So birth rates are down. Uh, life expectancy is shorter. And, of course, many have uh, emigrated, including uh, over 200,000 to Canada in the last 16 months since the full invasion began. Yeah, I suspect we could do an entire uh, show, if not a, a full hour at least, with you about the conflict right now and your thoughts on it. But your name... Mm-hmm is fascinating as well, Taras. Uh, you're named after someone famous, and the meaning of the name is is fascinating as well. <laughs> well, at the Manitoba legislature, just west towards uh, Osborne near Broadway is a monument to Taras Shevchenko, who was a 19th century poet and artist. And uh, during his time, there was a... a system of slavery, if you will, called serfdom, and many Ukrainian peasants were under a lord and had to serve the uh, the, the lord with their uh, labors, and Shevchenko was opposed to that, um, and so the working language was uh, Russian, but he was one of the first to write in Ukrainian language, which uh, was uh, anathema to the uh, the lord's in uh, in both uh, Poland and uh, in the Russian Federation. So Taras comes from the Greek word Taraso, which means rebel rouser or disturber. You can fill in the blank. And uh, <laughs> I was named after him. It's a quite a popular name in Ukraine. And I my theory is that over the centuries, uh, whether it was the Mongol invasion of the 13th century or Polish-Lithuanian dynasty of the 14th century or the Turks attacking across the Black Sea in the 16th and 17th century or Russia or Nazi Germany, Ukraine has always been at that r- midpoint between Asia uh, and Europe. And it's been a battleground. In fact, I did a, a thesis on the, in political geography at the University of Manitoba based on Ukraine and how it's uh, been um, subjected to these forces from all around. And so uh, the name I take uh, seriously. And uh, when I travel to Ukraine, people are very appreciative that I do uh, my English classes uh, as a volunteer because um Having been born in Canada and educated here, I'm a fluent native speaker, and that's what they require as they strive to establish further ties with the West, becoming part of the European Union as a goal, as well as NATO for protection. And they realize that English is the working language of the world, and that's why they're distancing themselves from Russia. For example, you may have heard that just a couple of days ago, President Zelensky signed into law the new date for Christmas, which will be December 25th, along with the rest of the world. And that's an attempt to distance themselves from Russia and the old Julian calendar uh, going with the Gregorian for Christmas anyway. And you've also been honored in Ukraine, have you not? Yes, sir. Um, When I first was contacted in 2017 by the uh, mayor of Lanyupsi, uh, he wanted to double-check that, indeed, I was a descendant of Father Mikola, 
And then in 2018, they uh, presented me with an honorary citizenship and got me to uh, open one of their uh, new theaters that they had uh, that was uh, sponsored by USAID, which has a strong influence in, in Ukraine, uh, not only teaching English, but uh, democratic uh, values and sponsoring uh, different events and facilities. And so I was able to uh, speak in Ukrainian and fluently to them and tell them that, uh, hey, back in 1991, when the Soviet Union fell apart, uh, Canada was the first country in the world to recognize Ukraine. And I'm from Canada. I haven't forgotten uh, my roots. I maintain the language. And I'm here now as a teacher to uh, make that connection with the West through the uh, teaching of English language and the sharing of, uh, of values. Uh, case in point, Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms is something that I focus on in, in my teachings. And I work with uh, older children and, and adults. I usually have two sessions a day for a couple of hours each when I'm there. And Taras, we have to go, but just very quickly here, anybody listening who's curious to see the stamp or the plaque, is there somewhere they can go online for that uh, or has that been published yet yeah the easiest is uh, just uh, look me up on uh, on facebook taras meluzinski and uh, i've uh, posted not only the uh, the uh, advertisement that they had leading up to this event but also a set of photos and descriptions both in english and ukrainian about the uh, stamp being presented and uh, i will be uh, getting five copies because uh, there are uh, five of us uh, brothers uh, living in canada so the mayor said he's uh, reserved those for us well taras thank you very much for uh, taking the time to tell us this story and please thank your daughter as well for shooting us the initial email to get this ball rolling we really appreciate the time oh yes i will thank you very much taras maluzinski joining us live on 680 cjlb once again his grandfather, Mikola, being honored in Ukraine with a postage stamp. He was a high-ranking priest and community organizer who was killed in 1943 by the Nazis. Yeah, that Taras Shevchenko uh, statue at the legislative grounds is absolutely beautiful, Brett. Yeah, I need to take a look at that next time I'm walking home. (laughs) 